0: Hello, everybody, welcome to the Crypto Hipsters podcast, where I interview founders and co-founders, entrepreneurs and artists, executives and stay at home hipsters in crypto and blockchain around the world. And I have an amazing podcast for you today. Let's get to it. And um, today I have an amazing guest. Her name is Samantha Ouyang. She is with the uh, the Knowledge Society. Actually, she's the founder of uh, Superposition Toronto. She is the uh, Future 25 Under 25 member, of the Future Minds Network and the Knowledge Society activator. Uh, Samantha, welcome to the show today.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for inviting me.
0: You're welcome. Um, So um, to kick things off, let's kick things off. Um, First question, uh, what is your background and is it a logical background for what you're doing now?
1: Uh, I'd say my background is pretty logical for what I do. Um, I kind of, as a child, always had a really uh, big fascination with the world, huge curiosity and that kind of led me to enjoying science uh, when I was quite young so a lot of the times I was either making crafts or I was doing some sort of science experiment with like cornstarch and other kitchen kind of kitchen ingredients so I was always driven by my curiosity and with that I kind of soon start to see that the world was like if this happens then this happens so it was like if x then y Uh, But then I kind of realized when I got older and I got introduced to code in school and I was like, "Whoa, I can actually control the why. Whereas in science experiments, you do something different and then something happens. You don't really have control over uh, the outcome because it's just the laws of nature that kind of control the outcome in a science experiment. But With code and actually making things, I could create that outcome that I wanted. And so that's kind of what led me to uh, entrepreneurship. And creating different solutions to some of the world's biggest problems. And so that's what I'm really passionate about, using technology to solve uh, some of the greatest challenges in the world. Um, And that kind of intertwines through all the different things I do. So whether it be uh, with blockchain, empowering women in STEM, uh, or also in some of my uh, chemistry endeavors. So with blockchain, I work specifically or I'm most specifically interested in using blockchain for social impact. So uh, building different uh, blockchain applications that have a specific uh, social good aspect to it. With Empowering Women in STEM, that's part of me founding Superposition Toronto. That was kind of my background um, from being, I guess, uh, discriminated against uh, during my earlier years in high school uh, for being interested in the tech field I had a lot of male friends, and you know, I thought they were my friends, but there are a lot of different microaggressions, and so that kind of led me to want to start uh start superposition Toronto. And then chemistry is a little bit uh bit more of a weird one. It kind of just came and then uh I started just getting really into it. So with that, I ended up realizing I actually do really like chemistry. Um and started to re re re-realize my original fascination with chemistry from you know my chemistry experiments from when i was a kid and with that um, i ended up going into chemistry olympiads uh, and from that i was invited to the canadian uh, chemistry olympiad national training camp uh, which selects the top 20 for international team selection and i was also uh, also awarded uh, first place for another chemistry contest And with that, I decided to apply my knowledge to another entrepreneurial endeavor. uh, endeavor. So I founded uh, a moonshot project, moonshot company earlier this year um, called Aeropure. So essentially with that, I applied that knowledge that I got from uh, Olympiad chemistry and all of that and ended up creating a solution to uh, solving water crisis issues related to unsafe drinking water. By using polysaccharide aerogel beads to uh, remove contaminants. So yeah, general. I in generally, I'd say my background being a really curious uh, young individual and wanting to create some sort of impact kind of intertwines nicely.
0: Awesome, awesome. Um, I have a lot of follow ups. <laughs> I'm gonna have a lot of follow ups with that. Thank you. Um, the first question, though, is I want to know is, you taught yourself solidity, right? Uh, you didn't know what you taught it yourself, you know, and then you decided to apply it to social issues, you know. Uh, what drove your need, your um, desire to learn solidity, and in addition to the, you know, the chemistry and the water, what are some of the social issues that you wanted to tackle first with your newfound skills?
1: So, in terms of learning solidity, So I already had a bit of a programming background. I started programming maybe in uh, seventh grade, I'd say, and then I really started getting involved with it in ninth grade, um, and I started doing competitive programming. So I already had that basic background. I I think a lot of people who do program know that once you know one language, uh, it's not too much more difficult to uh, understand the concepts behind another ones. It's really just the syntax and everything. So I learned Solidity through this, Course, uh, I'd say, uh, called crypto zombies, <laughs> they essentially, just make different uh, zombies and they kind of walk you through the process of that. Um, yeah, so I kind of wanted to learn Solidity because before when I was in blockchain, or past months before that, I was looking into, I was going really deep into how blockchain works. So I'd start with like proof of work. And this is when I was really just getting into blockchain, didn't really know anything. Um, but then I just kept diving down rabbit holes. Um, and then I eventually dive, uh, dove so deep that I got into like elliptic curve multiplication. And I said, okay, I think this is like beyond the scope of what I really need to know to uh, really have insightful conversations in the industry. So I stopped there. Um, and then I wanted to actually create things. I wanted to, uh, I guess, not just, want to learn things because with learning, that's, I guess it's good for yourself, but with creating things, you get to make your mark on the world. And so that's why you wanted to switch over from just going deep and understanding something to actually applying it. And that's why I wanted to learn solidity so that I could build apps that could actually create some sort of impact. Um, and in terms of the social issues that I immediately wanted to tackle, I knew for sure I wanted to uh, do something related to uh, like an issue that affects women. So There are a lot of issues, I guess, that affect people in in general, but then those issues uh, make it even worse for women as well. And I know from reading other articles and looking in the blockchain space that uh, right now some of the work being done is for uh, unregistered women, so they don't really get birth registrations. Um, they don't have I- identities and without an identity that prevents social mobility or any economic advancement because then you can't register for a bank account. Um, and in some countries as well, you need a mail signature to actually get a bank account um, with blockchain. That <laughs> isn't really a barrier because you could just uh, easily get your own wallet with an app and uh, and then you're done. And so... It's much more uh, it's much more easy to climb up the social ladder with uh, with the impacts that blockchain is bringing. Um, and so I was looking at that, and I was thinking of some other applications that I could possibly work on. Um, I haven't actually made anything, but I had some ideas. So I was thinking of how women are less likely to be hired for some positions, even if they have the same qualifications. A lot of that is with like sort of hiring process we have right now, um in terms of like bias in AI. Um, and also, Uh, Aside from bank accounts and birth registration, there's also land registration, which I guess impacts, kind of goes into one of the projects I have, but specifically impacts, uh, negatively impacts women even more because uh, having access to land or property uh, is uh, a storage of uh, of value. It's an asset. And with that, you can uh, liquidate and turn it into. money, essentially. In turn, you know, houses, property, which are storage of value into uh, money. Um, And with that, that provides uh, the ability to be able to uh, move up the social ladder as well. So having access to uh, the rights to a property that you own is actually something that's really powerful that we kind of overlook.
0: Awesome. Awesome. So I'll ask the next question is I want to dive into that a little bit. Um, how, you know, we talked about the women's rights and I want to I'm going to I want to talk about that because um, I do have this month a few guests uh, who are looking for women, more women to work in crypto and blockchain. So. Um, I guess I'm at the other end of the sphere, I'm a 50 I'm a male. A lot of a lot of women, the narrative has been you know more women need to be in the workforce, and that impacts people like me. So I'm just wondering what do you think a a good a good gender how would we achieve a good gender balance? you know in blockchain with increased skills, how do you think we could collaboratively work and achieve a fair workforce together?
1: I think that's. A question that we're all working to kind of get the answer to and we're trying to find different ways uh, because there is no definite answer we're all testing different ways um, as well while we're at it but I think one of the biggest ways and I think the most impactful ways that we can do so on sort of a daily basis in our daily lives um, is just uh, being allies um, so as men a lot of the times you don't really think about you know, women's issues as well. Uh, but some of the things some of the easy things you can do is, for example, uh, allowing allowing women to speak in a group discussion and not like speaking for them, but allowing them to speak. And this makes them kind of feel that they're recognized and that they're also uh, they have an equal place at the table. and that's one of the most uh, powerful things, even though it's it's not it's not something that's really said, it's something that's felt. And I also experienced this myself. Uh, I participated in a program this past uh, October, where essentially the point of the program was to, uh, it was a sort of roundtable event, but it was specifically geared at uh, girls in, young girls or in high school or university and give them a place either as uh, at a roundtable or switching places with a leader at a large company to kind of get them the chance to, uh, voice their opinions, uh, and I think that's something that's really powerful. Being able to just uh, have your voice be heard, because a lot of the times uh, you want to be heard, but at the same time you feel like your voice doesn't really add any value, or that um, it's you're either overreacting to something. By, uh, for example, if you had if you faced any sort of discrimination uh, or any sort of doubts of your capabilities. You feel that your, you feel you feel that your uh, struggles aren't are valid, and that there might even be some uh, some validity in what the other person is saying. And so you invalidate your own struggles. So having the chance to voice your opinions um, and even share your story as well is really powerful.
0: I completely agree. By the way. <laughs> I've been told all year, I'm not a journalist. I'm not a writer. I'm not an author. I'm not an investor. I happen to be all four of those things. <laughs> so, you know, and when people come out of the out of the woodwork and tell you that you're not, you want to prove them wrong. Right.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about the, the property rights in developing countries. You know, that that ties into discrimination, too, doesn't it? So how is blockchain can be used to level the field
1: yeah so i was looking into this issue it was i mean as a 17 year old i haven't looked too much into real estate and copyright so it was really a new sort of issue for me as well Um, and i was just discovering really how bad it was so i learned that like 70 percent of the world still lacks access to proper land titling and there have been a number of different cases a number of different cases so like with with Haiti's earthquake back in 2010, uh, apparently 60 years of archives were lost because they were all stored um, as paper copies um, in one location. And of course the building got destroyed, all those records got destroyed. And now farmers or the owners to those lands are still having disputes over, uh, over their properties. Um, and well, that's one case of centralization being an issue um, and also having it as paper copies. Um, but another, of course, is corruption. So in countries uh, like Honduras, government officials would actually go into those records and then change the names on them. And, you know, there's nothing you can really do as a citizen because uh, the government has power. And so that's another case of um, where uh, immutability would be something that would be uh, really good there. So essentially, two of the biggest uh, the, the most important features of blockchain immutability and decentralization are what make it a really good application for securing property rights um, in developing countries. So of course, with immutability, um, everything is timestamped and uh, you you can't change it after. So if someone were to try and alter that information, then it changes all the blocks after and validates everything. And so then it's immediate, immediately noticeable. And so that's the value of Uh, Immutability. No one can't just go in and then uh, make unagreed upon changes to who owns the land. Um, And as for decentralization, again, with the Haiti case, uh, that wouldn't have been an issue if, if the if there are copies of, uh, of the of the data on multiple different nodes, then if one is destroyed, then it doesn't mean that all the information is just suddenly gone. Um, And also makes it uh, difficult to attack with uh, the 51% rule. So, yeah.
0: That's that's the note that you're talking about public blockchains, right? Some private blockchains you can edit. (laughs) You know, some corporate ones you can edit. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So you also got into... um, providing cyber attacks, and especially at nuclear plants, which is another form of real estate, right? Uh, How could blockchain be used to prevent cyber attacks at at these nuclear power plants that you, um, one of the projects you worked on?
1: So in terms of this project, there was one person on my team who was just really passionate about this issue, um, about IoT as well, um, and just cybersecurity in general. And so we realized that uh, well, yeah, blockchain is actually a common, uh, common application, uh, commonly being used to help with cybersecurity issues, specifically with IoT as well. Um, in the current age, IoT devices they provide a lot more efficiency, but they also they also uh, trade off that um, trade off the efficiency, or they trade off security for efficiency, um, and with that. Before they were using something called SCADA, which are the SCADA, which are the sensors, um, and then they got replaced by IoT devices. So now these uh, nuclear power plants being controlled by IoT devices are a lot more vulnerable, because essentially you can gain access to the controls of a nuclear power plant um, just through the Internet because of these IoT devices if they're not properly controlled and secure. And so, with blockchain, we proposed a solution that had a lot of different aspects. There was like passwordless authentication, um, network segmentation, third-party interoperability. Um, but most importantly, in the actual part that involved blockchain, was the user command verification. So essentially, having that, um, having each command um, to the device kind of being kind of representing a transaction. So any command or status update to uh, the state of the power plant, like increase the temperature or update this firmware, that would be sent as a transaction. Um, And then it's kind of done in the same process that uh, blockchain works, it's signed. So the transaction is hashed, encrypted with uh, the private key and then sent to that IoT device. And then uh, the device itself uh, will perform the verification to ensure that it's coming from uh, a source that is credible um, or has the permission to make updates to it, so it does uh, the the verification uh, procedure, and so it kind of just through that aspect of blockchain ensures that uh, the commands are not being sent from some some unknown individual.
0: I had I had to had to put you on pause had to put me on pause there for one second my microphone because my dog was barking i have a a bernie doodle um but that actually that actually leads into the my next question actually (laughs) um how can we how can blockchain be used to render the pet industry more transparent what do you think
1: yeah so i thought this was also um an interesting application as well because not too many people think about this issue. So in terms of the pet industry, I was discovering from my chemistry teacher actually uh, that there was a huge room in pets during the pandemic, which I was actually oblivious to because I myself did not get a pet, Um, but apparently that was a thing. Um, So I started looking more into that and then I realized that pet theft has, has also been increasing as well. So apparently Two million dogs are stolen each year, um, and the pet industry itself. Uh, well, it always seems. I mean, pets are something that brings brings so much joy, but the industry itself is a little bit shady. So, first of all, there's the pet death, but then these criminals who steal the pets, um, they sell them on the black market, um, and well, that's that's one thing. Um, there's also puppy mills, so where they just like turn out puppies to be sold at pet stores um, and they don't have great living conditions there. Um, I know at some shelters uh, the situations are improving uh, as time goes on but some of them still aren't required to report the number of pets that they take in and adopt out. Um, and I know that a lot of the documents are still stored as physical copies and Again, similar to the Haiti case, if that was digitized, it would have been a lot better. <laughs> um, and with like the growing popularity of like uh, websites like Kijiji or Craigslist, a lot of these criminals could easily just sell a pet um, on there and not have any sort of license, um, and that way they can basically operate in plain sight without having any sort of um, consequences or any suspicion of them. So, yeah, the pet industry is pretty fragmented and um, not very transparent. Um, And as for uh, blockchain, again, it's immutability, decentralization, and also transparency that will actually um, help this issue. So, again, um, immutability, you can't change anything once it's added. So uh, in terms of pet theft, uh, you can't claim that a pet is uh, a a criminal can claim that a pet uh is is theirs without having that actual proof um in terms of decentralization it uh having no central authority it protects the documents from a uh, potentially malicious player in the network from going in and trying to change the information as well and then tr- the transparency kind of operating like a sort of uh supply chain supply chain system, kind of track uh um, the the sale of a uh, a pet from owner to owner and you can view that full record to ensure that uh everything lines up
0: my uh, my dog's been a godsend <laughs> so um you know we got a COVID puppy in you know uh june and august 2020 and she makes me walk her four or five miles a day and it keeps me healthy so um so it's been a great experience um so another one other project i want to touch on um is actually two is child labor abuse um in the chocolate supply chain when i read your bio it said that you one of your projects was in the chocolate supply chain and i was um curious i I had never heard of that so please could you tell us what what the focus is on there and how how uh, blockchain can help and what your interest is.
1: So essentially again with like supply chains, um, supply chains are kind of used for like almost everything in one of those like chocolate supply chain. So um, chocolate is like mostly sourced from Ivory Coast um, and other uh, neighboring countries in Africa. and. Of course, um, in those sorts of regions, um, and specifically in the chocolate the chocolate industry, a lot of the workers there um, are children or young teenagers like fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. Um, and they obviously don't have the best of working conditions, and uh, they shouldn't be working um, in those conditions at, at those ages as well. Um, and a lot of a lot of uh, chocolate, uh, chocolate manufacturers are pretty um not are, aren't very transparent about this as well um where they might claim that uh you know all of our uh all of our chocolate or all of our um cacao beans are are not sourced with child labor but they're uh the only really uh the only way to verify that right now is through certifications so it is something that's a little more difficult to work with given that uh, Preventing child labor is something that isn't like a sort of uh, digital piece of information. It has to be entered in, whereas some sorts of things, like if you're tracking uh, like temperature in a in a uh, transportation uh, sort of transportation container, uh, that's that information is digital. You can't really lie about it. Uh, whereas um, in preventing this sort of issue, there are certifications given by uh, certain organizations that ensure that that ensure that uh, certain uh, farmers um, are, aren't are or are using child labor. Uh, but even with that, uh, a lot of the times the chocolate manufacturers themselves don't even know where their cow beans are coming from. So having uh, a supply chain system uh, with blockchain would be really helpful because then they'd be able to track where uh, where everything is being sourced from because a lot of the times these beans are actually being mixed together once they get to some sort of place and i mean once they have what they need they don't really care too much about where it came from as long as they got what they need so that would be uh i thought that was a really interesting application that it could be possibly um, that could possibly uh, work a blockchain But currently um, in terms of the project, it still is in the early stages. And I did quite a bit of research into the industry itself and like the different certifications, um, like the parts that lack transparency and like the handing off from uh, one person to another and the different players. Um, And I've also met with a number of of founders uh, working in the blockchain for food traceability niche. Um, And that application itself is still uh, pretty new as well. There aren't really any sort of established companies working on that. Um, it's it's mostly just startups right now. Um, but I, I think I spoke to someone who wanted to use uh, blockchain for uh, halal foods. And I think another one uh, who used to work at Microsoft um, who wanted to use it to ensure that products were gluten-free. Um, and they'd kind of they'd all sort of have some sort of similar structure. Um, in terms of uh, the blockchain infrastructure uh, with uh, the traceability of this supply chain
0: it sounds like you're doing a lot of great stuff in the blockchain for social impact sphere um i, I love what you're doing keep please keep it up um you know so my last question is is uh, i have two questions one is um just, uh briefly what do you you know what do you see for your future and what recommendations do you have for college students, you know, uh, who are unsure of what direction to go into, you know, at college to, so th- to, to make an impact, if they want to make an impact in the world, um, what recommendations do you have for them?
1: I'd say my recommendations are to just find an issue that really gets you, uh, gets you mad or really interests you. So like personally for me, being interested in um, empowering women STEM, that came from uh, personally being angry at my my literal friends who uh, were saying these things to me and I didn't really have, I felt like I was trapped because I mean, they're my friends. If I said something about it, that would cut off the friendship. Um, and if I spoke up about it, well, some people would say you're overreacting. So I felt like, sort of trapped in this space and i was like i shouldn't really be feeling these these sorts of emotions because i deserve a place in this um in this field as well um and so of course that that definitely affected me affected me negatively at first um and i lost a lot of confidence but through a lot of reflection um available through the extra time through covid um, i realized that you know if if something were to change, um, and if I, if something were to change, then I would have to make that change myself. Like I have to stand up for myself. And so that's why I founded Superposition Toronto. And it was an issue, uh, because it was an issue that, uh, I had a, like, I had a story, um, and I my own backstory to it. And that's, that kind of provides, um, that, that fire and motivation for you to want to continue and find the solution. And, um, for me, hosting different events and different projects and initiatives that try and uh, work towards mitigating this issue. Um, and the reason why it's it's so important to actually care about the issue that you want to solve is because if it's like if it's just something that sounds good, you're not going to want to put the effort into it. And I think we all know that like doing any sort of uh, venture or uh, entrepreneurship at all is it's a lot of work. And I know for me, like, personally, with Supervisors in Toronto, I definitely spent a lot of time on it. Um, I know for our hackathon this this August, uh, I think in the actual week, uh, the the hackathon week, I think I spent, like, 70 hours that week uh, just working on that hackathon. Um, and there are a lot of times when we were, like, um, holding interviews and stuff. I remember when I first started Supervisors in Toronto, um, I, I think I had like 11 hours of interviews over over three days. And because it was only myself then, I had to do all those interviews and that's a long time on calls. Um, but the only way that you're actually going to stay uh, dedicated to to what you're doing is if you actually care about that issue. So if you're unsure of the direction that you kind of want to pursue, I'd say try and think of, certain things that you felt yourself um, in in your life um, and then use that as as fuel to make a difference um, in the world
0: i love it <laughs> awesome yep i agree with you 100 um thank you it's an honor talking to you today and um yeah I enjoyed our conversation. So one last question is this, and it's an easy one. It's this, how can people find out more information about you, about what you do, about Superposition Toronto? How can they do that if they want?
1: You can find me on LinkedIn, you can just search up Samantha Oyang, And um, I also have a monthly newsletter uh, where I send out a newsletter every month that has my projects, any sort of updates. Uh, some of the best pictures from that month. Um, everything from not everything, but all the <laughs> all the juicy parts of my life that um, show show my progress and growth as as a person. Um, and the link to that is uh, Oyang. And you can also follow me on Instagram at uh, samantha.oyang.
0: Awesome! Thank you very much for your time today.
1: Thank you so much